2: a room upgrade don't wait to make smart financial decisions compare and find smarter credit cards savings accounts and more today at nerdwallet.com reminder credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply NerdWallet, finance smarter
0: if your business needs a new application then developers will have to write code a lot of code if an application needs to be modernized then you'll need time resources, and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant. AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. Learn more at ibm.com slash code IBM, let's create.
2: Lots of immigrants are told, we came here for you. They tell their children this. They tell their six-year-old children this. And what they're saying is, I own you. this is a sinister interpretation, but I did this. Your end of the bargain is to live a respectable life for me. And that was such a strong mental scaffolding for my life that, like, I'm 45 and I'm starting to only think now about my own happiness with my work. So... It's the easiest thing for me to think of what I do for somebody else. First, it was my parents, and then it was my wife, and then it was my children. And so it's all about them. And the much more difficult thing is to ask myself, what makes you happy? What do you want? And I'm so unaccustomed to thinking about that, that um, I, I don't really have any answers.
0: That was John Cho. I'm Sam Fragoso, and this is Talk Easy. Welcome to the show. Sancho is an actor you know and you have definitely seen before, and he probably needs no introduction if you're listening to this podcast, or uh, if you actively listen to this podcast, but um, I will list his main credits in case you need a refresher. He was Harold in Harold and Kumar, he was Sulu in Star Trek, he has been on shows like Drunk History, House of Lies, American Dad, New Girl, BoJack Horseman, The Mindy Project, The point is, if you've liked any piece of pop culture in the last 10 years, you've seen John Cho. I'll admit, on the surface, every time I thought of John Cho, I thought, God, that seems like a really, really nice guy. And, uh, you know, you create these preconceived notions of of actors because you see them so often on screen. And, uh, you know, if you have the chance to meet them, you realize that almost all of them, no matter who they are, end up being wildly different from the preconceived notions you had created. Um, I was uh, exactly right about John Cho, though. He is an incredibly likable, charismatic, kind person. But, you know, in the lead up to doing this episode, um, I did some research and it became clear that although he's a pretty big actor and one of, if not the biggest Asian actor working in American uh, film and television, he hasn't done... Too many interviews that explore his upbringing in South Korea, um, his early childhood, you know, what he was like as a teenager, or just even what was his life like starting out in Hollywood. Anyway, I brought that up to him early on in this episode. And I think it was a, a daunting undertaking at first, you know, the idea of sitting down with a stranger for an hour and um, unpacking your life to someone you you don't know, and then going through childhood and and teenage and early adulthood memories that you don't often think about, um, especially on air for the public. And yet, he was pretty much on board from moment one. I think it took like five minutes of convincing. And then, you know, we dove into it for about an hour, and uh, the result is um, a conversation that I uh, really, really loved, and you know, before we put out these episodes, uh, Dylan, our producer, and I listen back, and you know, I sort of constantly am telling him, "We got to cut this part out. We got to cut this part out. I can't stand hearing my voice here, and and I, this part's boring." Um, I have to say, pretty much every part of this interview is interesting. And all the parts that were not interesting, eh, you know what, they're not in the episode. So, um, point is, I uh, really love this talk, and I don't know if I thanked him in person, so I'm going to thank him now. Um, It's not easy for someone to be so honest and vulnerable in conversation, especially conversations that uh, are going to be consumed by even more strangers. So, uh, I want to thank John Cho for coming on and for you know, sharing his life with us. So, finally, here is John Cho.
2: I would say that the defining thing of my life was uh, moving around a lot. Uh, I would say thematically, that's... How I saw myself is always uh a newcomer um first to America and when I was six and then moving around a lot as a
0: kid um do you, as, you remember at do you do you have an early memory at six of moving i do yeah i remember the plane ride um
2: I remember arriving um I remember my life in Korea to some extent uh, you know it was very different materially um, we didn't have a bathroom inside the house, and we didn't uh we didn't have a refrigerator you know um so that was a it was the seventies and uh it's the mid seventies and so it was a uh, Seoul was a city that was rebuilding after a war. And it was becoming modernized and probably, you know, like I imagine like five years after we left, it was like high rise apartments. Mm. Um, Things are changing so rapidly. It was that quick. Yeah. um, But, but yeah, I lived in a um, kind of very early industrial uh, city.
0: Do you remember your parents saying that we're
2: moving? I thought I did. And I'm not sure if I remember it. But in my memory, he comes home one day and tells us that, yeah. Your father. Yeah. I remember telling my a friend of mine in the neighborhood that we were moving to America. And then as kids do, he said, yeah, me too, man. <laughs> 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 and so I remember landing and, you know, looking out the car from my pal, <laughs> like, is he here? Is he here yet? <laughs> <laughs> Did he beat me here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't feel like a brag. I was just telling him what was up. but <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I think he took it that way. Yeah. You know, I think, you know,
0: <laughs> you probably wanted to go as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's funny. I have a distinct memory, but I was 12 and I, you know, I grew up in Chicago, like I told you, and 12, my mom, you know fell out of love with I'll just be honest with you Um, I fell out of love with my stepfather at the time and decided to move to California with my two brothers because she had fallen in love with someone else Mm. and I elected to stay in Chicago that year to finish school and to go to high school but I distinctly remember her telling me that they were leaving and I had the option to go with and I don't know something about that um i had a distinct memory of her telling me and now as time goes by i can't pinpoint it as it's just it's all become amorphous and it's hard to tell the times apart
2: it's interesting i th- i i have many of those memories and uh that i'm not sure how it happened and some of it is like you know you see a photograph and the photograph becomes the memory and it's almost like uh, when I don't trust my memory is when my memory is of me I can see me in the memory rather than it's like it's third person rather than (laughs) first person then I go oh this memory must not be real um but I I imagine it's different for my children now because everything's recorded so I don't know how that messes with memory because we're constantly I guess it cements it more. On the other hand, it's like you're always recording the event rather than being in the event. Right. So what the hell is a memory? What is a memory? I don't know. Does uh, is does the memory exist in your head at all? Or are we have we just sort of um, assigned memory to these machines? Right. As I don't opposed know. to
0: the deep recesses yeah, of our brains. Right. I don't know. I don't know where th- these things are getting stored anymore. Well, do you have an early memory of m- in America as being a young kid? Because there was no <laughs> video phones then. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I mean, I um, I have
2: many memories. Uh, I felt, you know, I have these conflicting memories of you know, living a normal life and then being reminded that we look different too, you know, so they're, they're, they're they're a mixed bag, you know, um, where do you move to Houston, Texas?
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. There's probably, um, not a whole bunch of folks who look like you in Houston, Texas.
2: There wasn't at the time. And now there are a lot. And, uh, I think it, you know, and I, have met Koreans also from, from Houston now, um, and there's a lot of Vietnamese there, but, uh, at least in my neighborhood, there were very few. Um, so, uh, the first movie I saw was in Houston. I didn't see one in Korea. Um, (laughs) what was it? It was death ship part two (laughs) because, uh, (laughs) it's very humid in, in Houston during the summer and, um, like torturously humid. And, uh, there was a one dollar movie theater across the street. Now these are gone by the wayside, but there used to be a thing called second run movie theaters. And uh, you know, six months after it came out, you could right. see Star Wars.
0: They exist in spots. They do
2: still today. Yeah, the second run movie theaters. Yeah.
0: There used to be one in Pasadena that there, You know, and you know what? I think it was playing Gemini. Oh, really? I was looking for, because I had seen it a couple months ago, I wanted to show someone. Uh, And I thought I saw it playing, because it's not in theaters anymore, I don't believe. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Um,
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, So, we, my father, it's, you know, $1 all seats, said the marquee. Right. Great marquee. And uh, air conditioning. So, um, we went in as a family. And... My parents, now that I look back, uh, because of censorship, there wasn't um, any ratings in Korea. So any movie was suitable for the family. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have, uh, you know, R-rated movies. And so we went in and we sat down and um, within, uh, I mean, the opening scene was someone getting impaled. <laughs>
0: Welcome to the movies. I,
2: I still remember it to this day. That's a real memory. I was. It was one of these. Uh, it was like a um, like an oil rig ship kind of a thing. Like these <laughs> these giant cities on on the on the sea, and there was a giant hook on a crane, and uh, a man was impaled by this by this hook. And you're like
0: six or seven years old.
2: Yeah, freaked out. <laughs> And then, uh, my parents uh did the trusty uh, palm over the eyes oh, trick.
0: perfect. yeah. uh
2: we stayed uh through the sex scenes uh i my my most of the movie was me just with the palm in my face, but we did pay four dollars total, so hey, we for- had to stay.
0: Four dollars for AC. I mean, it's it's not a bad deal. It's not a bad deal.
2: It's, it's not, not a, a bad <laughs> deal.
0: <laughs> what were your um, parents doing at that time?
2: My mother wasn't working at the time. I don't think she. Later on, she uh, she was a secretary, and uh, and my dad at the time was, I I think he was um, working at like a corporate uh, 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 janitorial company. They would clean office buildings at night. Um, I believe that's what he was doing at the
0: time, but he switched jobs a few times um, looking for work. And so with each job that he switched, did that mean you folks were moving?
2: For the first few years, no, it was in the city. and And then a few years later, we started jumping around a lot. I mean, like... I think we were moving like every six months mm. for a while. Um, so that was... All not... around Texas? No, we went to Seattle, um, this, the Bay Area, San Jose, a few places in LA.
0: What does that do for you in terms of trying to be a kid?
2: Well, I mean, um, you know, it's not fun being the new kid. and um, I, And I think, you know... By the time we were in the thick of it, I was in middle school. So that's like a tough time to, for anyone, just chemically. Um, it's
0: a bad time to be a person. It's a ba-
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'll say it for you. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's a, for, for, to be a human being, Look, it's a rough time. No,
0: no, they, no one knows what they're doing. Everyone is... Uh, un- Getting boners. Uh, <laughs> their bodies are changing. Oh, they're unreasonably mean. They don't know how to express <laughs> themselves. And so they just wreak havoc.
2: Um, so that was a tough time,
0: you know, and, and then we, we... By the way, I like I said, I said all of that and your contribution was... Boners. They get boners.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Sean. Volume three of my autobiography, <laughs> The Boner Years. <laughs> um.
0: So what happens in the boner years?
2: <laughs> so, uh, you know, you're moving around a lot and we were also just very poor, at the time so there was that you know self-consciousness about that being new and then also you know some of the time we were in neighborhoods that had very few asians so there was that self-consciousness and being made fun of for that as well um you remember
0: getting made fun of
2: yeah 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 um you know it's funny i know i now have kids and uh There's very little of that. Uh, It's where we live, and it's very weird to me because I just felt like sometimes I see children, and I'm like bracing myself uh, for uh, for the asshole kid, and I'm like, oh, I'm I'm a lot bigger than these children now. Um,
0: (laughs) Wish people could see what you're doing. Your fists are up.
2: up. Uh, Well, so I remember, um, like at my uh my son's preschool there was snack time, and um all the kids were eating seaweed. oh my god, and for me i I had a very intense memory of um being made fun of for eating fish you know i I was a kid, and somebody was this kid was like, You eat fish you guys eat Fish, <laughs> it was the strangest insult, and thus I remember it. Uh, it stuck with me, but you know, they, they that was like, uh, I remember people making fun, uh, fun of the strange things we would eat, mm. and to be sitting there and watching uh, all these uh, white kids eat seaweed was a bizarre moment for me.
0: Is, is that progress that they can eat seaweed now?
2: Sure, uh, I'll take it. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, um, you know, that is it's funny, but you know, Anthony Bourdain died a few days ago, and food culture has you know, I, I, I thought it was overblown food culture, and I still think it's kind of ridiculous, uh, in general. The, the, the sort of one-upsmanship that people do with food right. and using it as, um, you know, a class signifier and um, it, it's, it's, it's preposterous, a lot of the food culture. However, in, in terms of – in the social dynamic, it has opened a lot of people's minds and, you know, the old adage of walking a mile in a man's shoes could be adapted to, you know, eating uh, another man's meal right uh, and you perhaps you come to some sort of understanding however small it might be and i have to admit that that is something
0: yeah i mean if if that's what it takes if it takes food to be uh, a bridge of some kind yeah although i will caution people like
2: it's not a great opener like i have i have just started many conversations with people of Uh, with non-Koreans, let's put it kindly. And it's always like...
0: I'm very fearful of what you're about to say.
2: (laughs) Well, there's always like a barbecue opener. Um, And I'm like, okay. All right, I guess that's what you...
0: Because it's the opener. What is said? What's the line?
2: Well, it's... The food opener... I guess what... uh, The revelation there and what I don't like about people... uh, What I don't like about the moment people introduce themselves, like when they start a conversation with what's your favorite Korean barbecue place or uh, a kimchi story or whatever is, it says to me, that is the first thing you see. Yeah. That is, that is number one. And I go, Oh, okay. That's, I see a lot of things when I don't, when I meet a person, <laughs> I, I I don't know if that's the first thing I think about, right. you know, the race, but I, I think that's how most people are oriented. And, and that's th- that's their way in, and that's okay. No, it's not. I, I, no, I, I mean it's. I don't think it is. I, I'm. I actually don't think it is okay. What? A, it it isn't malicious, so I will say it's okay. It's benign. Yes, you know what I mean. But its valence is not hostile.
0: I'm. You're right, but I I fear that the more innocuous appearing it seems, right, the more insidious it becomes.
2: I'll I'll take that. Yeah,
0: um, I, I I just I'm a little reluctant just because uh, I don't think it's fair and right. And I come from a, a different generation. I think where I don't know a lot of folks my age that think that way. I really don't.
2: It's true. Yeah, you're right. Um, it is less, much less common the younger a person is.
0: And your kids will definitely not. There's no chance. You have two kids, right?
2: I have two kids. Yeah, I, I don't think so. I mean, it's funny how, you know, I don't walk every I'm not there with them everywhere. But it's funny how little that plays in their everyday life. Whereas it really did play in my everyday life for me um, in much more obvious ways. If it does for
0: them, it's in unseen ways.
2: Did you start intellectualizing
0: it or recognizing it more when you were in high school?
2: No, I would say that, uh, I mean, I remember very early on thinking to myself, I said, this this, this bums me out. Um, as an adult, I have such pity for <laughs> little me because I remember thinking, geez, I wish I was white. My uh, life would be so much easier. And I remember thinking that to myself very consciously, uh, must have been seven, you know, and 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 realizing that very early, like oh this this road would be a lot smoother yeah. and um, so it's very sad to think I just don't think that my kids have ever thought that mm. you know i I guess you know, hearing all of this for the last due day, to the fabulous wealth and privilege <laughs> their
0: father has uh Great. has showered them with you can you can totally send them this recording. <laughs> And they will be so happy to hear it. (laughs) Um, At what point, uh, as you become a kid and then a teenager, a young adult, do you find that being in movies and television, that acting is something you wanted to do? Because I imagine, based on your family, I mean, your father was a janitor, your mother was a secretary. I don't think there was a clear road map. To being an actor, or examples you had, um, especially considering there weren't many Asian folks in American television or movies,
2: I um, I didn't think about it growing up. I mean, I um, liked movies, I think I was, um, you know, I was a jokester in my home and stuff, um, but I was very reserved at school. My artistic expression when I was a kid was drawing that was what that was my connection to art as a kid and then when I went to college um it was literature and then it moved into uh just a very chance audition for a play and um and even then I thought it was a diversion um diversion from what Oh, from uh life uh you know when you go into a theater and you rehearse a play, it's i i mean I still like that's my favorite thing about acting and i and i and now I'm a kind of old too old to really relish it in the way that no, no, I take that back, I mean I want it again, which is theater rehearsals, ah, uh. you go into this black room and it's just pretend time and my recollection back then is all the weirdos and it was great to be with the weirdos instead of the uh, achievers. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Oh, okay. I'm not them. I'm, I'm, I'm these people, I right. guess. Uh, cause I like these people and they were more fun. Um, and, uh, so I remember feeling like this is, uh, this is a tremendous way to pass time, <laughs> and or rather, time was irrelevant there. It was great, right you know um but I didn't think about doing it until I met professionals, and I did so because um there was a play that I was in called "Woman Warrior," and it was based on a book it was being put up at our on our campus, and they needed the theater. And my understanding is contractually they needed to use a couple of students in order to to use the theater. <laughs> and it was an Asian-American play. And so uh, I... Fit got, the description. Yeah, I fit the description, got a part. And it was then that I met um, Asian actors. And I, and I kind of didn't know that they were for real. I didn't think that... I didn't know. I didn't put any thought into it. I, I guess I thought that if there were Asian American actors out there, it wasn't like a full time thing. I figured that they were <laughs> that it was a
0: part time job. Right,
2: they worked at the post office and then they <laughs> saw a casting notice and the, you know like, I I didn't have any thoughts about it. I didn't think that there were
0: you thought they were moonlighting
2: as actors. That's right. <laughs> uh, so I didn't realize that was a profession for people and um so I met a whole bunch of them and they were great to me and it was it was also like. I guess I thought it was fucking around. Sorry, can I say that?
0: <laughs> yes, you can curse on here.
2: I thought that they were, you know, I thought acting was fucking around because that's that's what I did in my school place. But they, like they were pros, you know, like doing warm up exercise, memorizing tons of dialogue, uh, stretching. Right. Uh, you know, uh, I thought, oh, this is a gig. This is like a this is like a thing. And um, so as I. As I spent time with them, I realized it, well, there was a lot to know, that there was an honorable profession, and uh, you know I thought, okay, well, maybe I can, I can do this. I, I, I like it right now more than anything else. so
0: mm. Was there an early encouragement from a job or a role that, that clicked in your head? And was like, "Oh, yeah, okay. Not only is this not just joking around, but maybe this could even can be a job?"
2: You know, uh, I e- even during that during that run, I felt like I, I got some pat's on the back for doing the silly scenes that I did, and there, that was very meaningful to me. Can I tell you another story of like one of my early jobs, very first jobs, and it still ranks as one of my greatest acting moments? Go ahead. Okay. It was. On, I like uh, how excited you are to I, tell I, the I, story. I,
0: uh,
2: <laughs> <laughs> It was on a show called VIP, starring Pamela Anderson. Okay, now... I the, don't even think this is on your IMDb. The, okay, better, damn well better be. Uh, VIP... 1998. 1998, 1998. Uh, if VIP was three hot detectives. <laughs> <laughs> Done, okay? They're solving crimes, they're super hot. Genius, this is a great show. Great name for a show. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> anyway, I was playing Flower Delivery Man. Boy.
0: <laughs> uh, on here it is Flower Delivery Guy. Guy, guy, guy. Excuse me. <laughs> Not even a man. <laughs> anyway, uh, the director, I'll never
2: forget him. His name is Sidney J. Fury. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> that name, I'm sorry. That... Sydney J. Fury. Great name. He... Uh, I come into the office, the detective office, and um, I'm delivering flowers. But I decided to play it like I didn't know where I was going. I was, and I looked one way. I looked to my right and then to my left, and I went to my left. And the assistant director, often on a set, the assistant director will direct the um, day players uh, rather than the um, – or with extras more, more like. I was in an extra, however, the, an assistant director very commonly uh, talks to uh, day players and, and extras. And the assistant director came up to me and said, Hey, hey, it's to the left. It's not to the right. Left. <laughs> and I was making an acting choice, you know? And um, I was like, I guess that didn't work. Uh, Sidney J. Fury, the director, hears this and says, Hey! The kid's acting. He's making a choice. Leave him alone. I was so validated. I felt so validated in that tiny role. Uh, I've never forgotten it. I'll think about it every once in a while on a on a set, um, and it comes to me. You know, like because it is like small moments like that that still sort of um, define a a. performance for me like Mm. it's like little little things and blocking is tremendously important to me and figuring out what your body's doing whether you know or familiar with the space or not and my relationship to a set is very very important for me it's tangentially like what's difficult about rehearsing a play you're often in a you're not on the stage. You're not on the thing itself. Uh, you're in a rehearsal hall, and right. they tape out. You know, with uh, masking tape. This is the bedroom. Uh, this is the the kitchen over here, and it's like it's uh, my my squirrel brain has a hard time with that, Right. and it always led me to false choices I felt like doing plays it mm. was hard to avoid kind of locking in falseness without the stuff right. and um, and so you know on sets I really love if I cannot get there early to the set I like to go visit the set when they're not the crew's not there yet and sort of feel it out and get I introduce myself uh, meet the space you see what makes sense
0: yeah I like this story also because it is very clearly the kind of early encouragement a young actor needs to keep going.
2: Oh my God. You know, you're so thirsty for encouragement when you're or not, I shouldn't say you, when I was young. It, uh, no, me too. It means sure. the whole thing, you know? Um, if it's someone older, uh, if you're inclined, I mean, some people actually don't, uh, care about what older people think of them. I am, I, I always was inclined to value the opinions of older people. So um, that meant a lot to me.
0: What did your parents think early on about your acting career? Uh,
2: they were mystified, I think, more than anything else. They, I think, th- you know, I've always said, it, like, they they correctly wondered, uh, is can
0: you do is this a this is a thing like are are you gonna have to work at the post office too
2: right right (laughs) i I told the story before my dad said uh they were nice about it i think they attributed it to first of all it was new i had not talked about this i went off to college in their minds like he went off to college he came back and he's an actor like i don't uh, what happened (laughs) like it wasn't something i was talking about since i was seven i didn't you know, I didn't do school plays, and so this right. was uh, news to them. And and I think that they must have thought it was some sort of phase. Um, and I think my dad said,
1: uh, "Have
2: you considered uh, newscasting?" Because he did see Connie Chung on TV, and he figured maybe the kid wants to be on TV. Is that, you know, um, <laughs> so. Uh, it was fine. It took a few years, but they put up no resistance. They weren't thrilled. Right. Um, they weren't the kind of people who. I see people, you know. I remember being in plays and seeing like their parents come to see the show, <laughs> like bring flowers and stuff. It was probably white people. <laughs> well, maybe. No, no. I was I was not acting <laughs> with white people at the time, uh, but. Uh, But, yeah, it was, like, very weird to see that kind of parental support for the arts. Mm -hmm. Huge encouragement. Huge encouragement. (laughs) Huge, huge adult encouragement. You didn't feel that? No, no. I was very glad to... um, On the other hand, it was sort of like, it it, it was, I was a young person uh, figuring out who I was doing, in a way, all of this being... Young, poor, and having a life that revolved around art felt illicit, <laughs> and felt and it was appropriate that parents should not be involved in this thing. It wasn't. Uh, later on, it became a job, um, but at the time, it was me trying on different t-shirts essentially and mm. trying to figure out who I was. Did it first become a job when you got Harold and Kumar? I think it became a job when I got married. <laughs> You know, and um, and then when I had my son, then it became a real... I should say, no, when I started working in, in um, film and television more and more, it became this thing where I was like, what do you, the director, need from me? I want to give it to you. And... Only recently have I really started to advocate for myself, which is very new to me. And what does that look like? Well, meaning like, you know, when we're doing, when we're discussing a scene, and, you know, there are a number of ways you could do a scene, I guess I'm more forceful about saying, this is what I think the scene is about. You know, this is what I think the story is. And I know that there are answers, that there are um, unarguable answers to that. This is, the story is about this, but um, there are, but as we move through these scenes, as we move through the blocking, as we choreograph uh, these characters, they're, there's there's smaller things we have to make a decision on and and i guess ultimately i'm realizing at this late age in life i've decided i have a right to be happy with this performance as well and i have a right to be uh, i have a right to be satisfied with this film i have a right to be satisfied with this show and your opinion your satisfaction your happiness mr director ms director is not the only one that matters. And I don't say that uh, now in uh, with any animosity. It's a realization I've come to. And everyone seems to be happy with that. Like, it's uh, news. Uh, they're cool with me fighting for my happiness as well. Like, everyone's fine with that. I just went through a whole lifetime
0: not realizing that that was cool. Hmm. Um, yeah. What? did you think people wanted from you uh, starting out and in the middle 2000s when your career started taking off?
2: Well, I mean, I started off doing like little roles, bit roles. And, um, you know, I got good at doing those things because I felt like, I'm saying I have the right to be happy with my performance now, and that's largely, it's convenient for me to come to that realization because I have larger roles. Uh, when I was doing bit parts, um, it was very clear to me that my happiness wasn't important. Like I had to hit my mark and not waste a, essentially do my job while not taste, wasting a take from the major players. Right. So if um, Steve Gutenberg, I've never worked with Steve Gutenberg. <laughs> <laughs> if Steve Gutenberg is given a good performance flower or or rather uh, if if, uh, Pamela Anderson is getting it right in this scene flower delivery man guy should not fuck this scene up and that's that was my method of survival like get it right I don't Like, whether it feels good for me is irrelevant. Whether it's false for me is irrelevant. What's relevant is I hit the mark and not forget my line. And then after that, I started playing a little game with myself internally. Because, you know, sometimes you'll you'll do 30 takes and all you're saying is, the flowers are here. And so, like, I got good at just sort of um, giving variation and keeping myself alive. So it was... (laughs) Flowers are here. Flowers are here. Uh, and I just, that was a game I played with myself, the solitary game. And that was sort of my self-acting school, you know, playing with tiny lines mm. uh, over a number of takes just so that I my brain wouldn't fall asleep.
0: Did you feel in the aftermath of Harold and Kumar in that series, because it, talking about it now, it's so bizarre because it has been mythologized and mm. has been uh, become such a huge part of the culture in its own way did you feel in the aftermath of that when you were continuing you know your career that it became easier for you to be i don't know more yourself more more uh less oh. a day player less uh, an ancillary part in a big machine and more uh
2: You know, I don't know about afterwards, but during those movies, I felt very empowered. And that was when I started participating in the storytelling because I was empowered to do that. Mostly through, you know, at the time it was less, um, uh, does this feel right? Which is more what I think about now. Does it feel honest? Does it feel true? And at the time it was, um, for those movies, it was what's funnier. Which is another delightful mind exercise—just sort of looking at a scene and going, "Are we maximizing the humor from this?" And uh, so that was really fun. But I, my my main recollection of Harold and Kumar—I I would be—I uh, avoid watching those movies now, because <laughs> uh, you know when they come on TV, because uh, I've never said this to anyone, but I felt like it was really hard for me to play the straight man, um, and. Uh, I I don't know if I ever got it right, and I don't want to look back and see how wrong I got it. But like playing the straight man is so hard, and in in, in the years since that movie, like whenever I see someone do it right, it requires so much restraint and precision, and that that I didn't have it. And um, yeah, did you feel that in the moment? Yeah, I felt that it was tough. I, uh, yeah. I I was like this is hard. Like it's funny, Cal and I always joke that I was more Kumar and he was more Harold. And there was there's truth to that that I was the wilder one and as a know, person. As a person and, and Cal's basically a big old nerd. You know, but but it was really me it was more it wasn't like a character thing, it was a technique thing. It was like I I'm not sure how best to do this straight man thing. I should have gone I wonder if I know a good straight man in my life. I should have gotten some counsel from that. But I, I've never had like an acting coach or anything like that. Um and I think I also wanted to shine in the movie. I wanted to be funny. But it's hard like being funny as a straight man is actually now I, I see I it is a much uh when i see it done now i appreciate it so much more but i wanted to be funny funny and um you know i think that got in the
0: way did the movie have the effect on your career that you wanted i guess
2: i, I don't know how i thought I, I if i had any expectations um my expectations at the time were super modest like i was it was such a for the first one it was so small and odd that uh, I wasn't sure if it would get really get released or not, you know. Um, you hear stories about movies never coming out. You know, I, I, my life was like, you know, as a consumer was roaming Blockbuster and seeing odd movies. Like, I don't remember this coming out in the theater, this Ryan <laughs> uh, Philippi movie. Uh, <laughs> what is this? Uh, I have not thought about him in a long time. <laughs> just was th- thrown back to blockbuster days. <laughs> um, uh, so it seemed like um, dangerous even then, after after we'd shot the movie. Um, and, you know, an Asian and an Indi- and, and Indian guy, it didn't seem like it would amount to much. And we didn't do well theatrically, but it just sort of hung around and became part of culture it seemed like right over time over time
0: i think the fact that you two were the stars in the movie yeah contributed to people finding it and being like oh this is not this is not what we normally see." usually right the the movie about uh friends and smoking weed is like two white guys is is Mm -hmm. how it usually goes
2: totally it it was to me like it is a is a thing that I point to, and I don't think people understand, even even if they understand it, which is difference can differentiate your product in a really tremendous way over time. Like, it can distinguish you. Hmm. Um, after that theatrical run, if we were two white guys, I don't know if anyone remembers it clicks and then they rent it. It doesn't happen later on in the way that it happened for us. It's like it was so unusual. I think there was this residue of memory, and people, when they saw it on TV, it was like, oh, i got to check this out because we were so different, and that's the edge.
0: Right. You know, since the film's release, and and then as you continued in uh, your career, I had read in a lot of interviews this question that's often posed to you, which is what's the place and and where uh, are the Asian Americans in movies? Why is there a lack of... And you said this thing a couple years ago, maybe, maybe a year and a half ago. You said, I don't know how healthy it is for me to think about my community as much as I do. And that was the question of about, you know what are you supposed to do or what is your obligation to um right. asian americans right. uh in film and television and i don't want to ask you a question <laughs> about diversity not that i'm not interested yeah but i think you've answered it it's more of a question of of your i don't know like spirit like right. what what does it do for you or what does it mean to you to have to grapple with that question and that idea constantly
2: Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of conflicting thoughts about it. On the one hand, you know, it is something that is important to me. um, Because, you know, I felt like as a kid in Houston and then seeing... It it did contribute to my idea of of self, Mm -hmm. seeing kind of Asian houseboys on the television or kung fu masters and that was sort of it and you go okay well that must be who i am or that if the, the tv is telling me so i realized that things that i that these performances i do on these sets are being broadcast to people uh, to young asian boys and girls also and um and so i wanted to i didn't want to do anything that was embarrassing to them first and foremost. And so that, so I get it. And on the other hand, like, you, you, I don't know that it's right for an artist to think about that so much. Uh, we're not politicians. Um, we're not community activists. We're, it's funny, man, you know, I remember as I got to know all these actors when I was in, in there were uh, these theater people, um, So many of them were, like, basically runaways. You know, they were older, many gay who wanted to be in the theater and had sort of fractured family uh, histories because they wanted to do this thing that was seen as so dishonorable and so ridiculous. And uh, I I apologize if I'm mischaracterizing this, anyone who's listening, but... um, you know, as a result, that they 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 had formed a second stronger family, uh, of artists, and a surrogate family. Yeah. So, I think to some extent we're supposed to be outcasts, outside of that system, outside of of uh, of this representation and 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 how we're seen, and um, we're supposed to be the weirdos. So. I, I do have b- both those impulses in equal measure, mm. um, so I'm. I think I think, and then, so I think the ultimate thing is that then I just become resentful of that, <laughs> which is not healthy either. But I'm figuring it out, and, and I do think like you said, it was a year and a half ago. I, I, I would bet that that might have happened before the election of Donald Trump, and
0: it, it was in the promotion of Columbus. So I don't know. If that's
2: oh, that was right at the time. Yeah. Uh, So it was right after...
0: This was on NPR.
2: You know, I I would say in terms of, like, uh, my relationship to representation, I I would say I'm really rethinking that in light of what's going on in this country.
0: You mentioned resentment. What is the resentment? It's primarily towards, like, it's
2: toward my own community. Like, you shouldn't look to me. You should look to you shouldn't look to actors, you should look to business leaders or doctors and lawyers and, you know, um, but I've also come to accept that that's important, that it, I guess I didn't, it's, it's self-loathing, I didn't feel like, it, but I also feel like, it, you know, it's to the mainstream apparatus, because uh, resentment towards the mainstream apparatus, because I'm like, there's so few of us, this is, this is unfair, you know, because white people put that on me too, you know, like, and... I don't want it, you know? I I just want to be an actor. And um, so, you know, it's from all sides. Mm. It's not a woe is me situation, but it does feel like... The thing that I don't like about it is... I told you earlier that it took me a long time to advocate for my happiness with my performance. And I think for years it was like my... Primary things were, is this, like, avoiding a stereotype? Is this a good role? I had this, uh, you know, during, I would say, the early part of my career. I always, like, could say no very easily to very outright stereotypes. And then, like, things came along, and I wasn't sure if this was a stereotype or not. It was, like, there's a lot of, like, shady half-stereotype roles that that, that, that I would get auditions for. And I would go to, I would call, like, the Asian... Uh, male counsel, uh, my friends who are Asian American, and I would say, "What do you you just okay?" I'm going to describe a role. <laughs> I'm going descri- to I'm going to describe a role on Grey's Anatomy. All right, you let me know whether you think um, I should say I was on Grey's Anatomy, and this is, this is not a real example, but you know, I'd say this is l- 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 Doctor Kim goes into and and they w- and I would say, does that sound like insulting to you or not? Like an example of a half-stereotype thing would be like, um, oh, th- for some reason, this this was like a thing back in the late 90s or early 2000s. Asian guys acting black. Ha, ha,
1: ha. <laughs>
2: <laughs> what is that? Uh, like uh, an Asian guy who uh, acts real hood, you know, uh, and... It's for comedy, uh, for comedic effect, and...
0: uh, You could barely say the word comedy there.
2: Yeah. (laughs) And so that was supposed to be funny. And uh, (laughs) that happened a lot. Um, And I remember asking, like, okay, so it's not a Kung Fu master. Is this, uh," you know... And I wanted the dollars. I wanted the credit. Like, can I get away with this? Is this cool? Um, Or is it not? You know, and, and... and even then I remember going, What this is ridiculous that I have to do this, you know? Um so. Unfair that you have to play by different rules. I felt that there was more on actors of color, uh, and Asian actors. I just thought it was tough that uh you know, a twenty three year old has to think about that. I'm just supposed to be I'm supposed to be getting drunk and getting laid. Right. You know? Um
0: So, standard uh, 23 year old stuff. Yeah. uh,
2: I felt like this is not, it's not right. (laughs) This is interfering with my right to be irresponsible, (laughs) my inalienable American right
0: to be a dickhead. Great. Were you able to be a dickhead?
2: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was a dickhead. Um, but, uh, you know, in my professional life, I felt like, you know, thankfully, I've reflected on this recently. Like, how did I make it through? How did I become 45 without ru- burning bridges and ruining everything? It's a small miracle, right? You know, because um, then you go. There's only one place, really. It's like if I was a if I was a hairdresser, I could pick up my scissors and go to the next town after I'd burned my professional relationships. But you really can't in this profession. Um, you're stuck. And I've been here for a long time. And it's 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 a little bit of a miracle that I didn't cuss anybody out or, you know, come drunk to set or whatever and ruin my reputation. Well,
0: what has carried you forward?
2: You know, it's a job and um, you respect it. And um, I realized one thing that I'm good at, which... I think all actors have to be good at is this. Um, You have to be able to concentrate in short bursts or at least in film acting. You have to really focus and you can't be distracted. You got to focus for a certain number of takes and it has to be a very high level of performance and high level of functioning for a short amount of time. And certain people... Are you're either a Mustang or a thoroughbred, you know? And actors, I think, by and large, are Mustangs, and they can do a quarter mile really fast. And mm. you have to do quarter miles. And some people are marathoners, you know. <laughs> uh, I'm jumping, uh, I'm jumping analogies, but some people are just better at long distance stuff, and uh, that's what makes actors terrible at real jobs. <laughs> <laughs> they can't go nine to five and just keep right. do, 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 doing their work, their desk work for
0: eight hours. I think actors would be like, let's go nine to eleven. I'll yeah, nine this. to eleven. I'll get all the same work done <laughs> before lunch. I'm out. Before lunch, good. but uh, I'm I,
2: I, I, I out. <laughs> um, and so I, I think I was good at focusing really hard for a certain amount of time, and then I'm out. Yeah,
0: but and then and then I can refocus, but. That's a skill. You know, you you said, this was also last year, that uh, I've thought for years, sometimes against my will, about what kind of son I'm supposed to be. This is about um, Mm. Columbus and how you relate to your character and that. Being Korean, that's a particularly charged question. Is your duty to your culture or to your parent? Is your life your own or the second half of your parent's life? Who owns your life? Maybe the answers are obvious to some people, but not to me and not to Jin. I didn't even have to try and think about relating. It was right there.
1: Uh,
2: Yeah. You know, we're told immigrants, lots of immigrants are told, we came here for you. They tell their children this. They tell tell their six-year-old children this. And I've often thought that that was... What they're saying is, I own you. this is a sinister interpretation, but I did this. Your end of the bargain is to live a respectable life for me. And that was so strong. It was such a strong mental scaffolding for my life that, like I told you, I'm 45 and I'm starting to only think about, only think now about my own happiness with my work. So it's the easiest thing for me to think of what I do for somebody else. First, it was my parents, and then it was my wife, and then it was my children. And so it's all about them. And the much more difficult thing is to ask myself, what makes you happy? What do you want? And I'm so unaccustomed to thinking about that, that... um, I don't really have any answers I mean I, I don't even you know sometimes I'll go into a meeting and uh somebody will say what do you want to do if you, if you if you what movie would you make if you I've always thought about like what could I make what could I get away with but I'm not accustomed to thinking about what I would do if I had 10 million bucks like to mm. to, to make a movie like I, I don't know Is it scary for you
0: to think about that at this age? Um, The idea of what makes you happy. You know, it's getting
2: a little easier, and I'll tell you why. Because as my self-identity moves, I'm more comfortable with the majority of my identity being a dad and a husband. The importance that I put on work can diminish a little bit, and I'm happy with that. So it doesn't have the weight that it did when I was younger. Like, it's going, it's a thing. In some ways, like, my work or my career, if you can call it that, is a thing that exists outside of me, and it's not me. Whereas before, I was working on it and felt that it was me. And I feel less so, less so. Hmm. I feel that less so now.
0: And what do you make of being a father?
2: What do I make of being a father? Well, I mean, I love it, and I do. Like their, I
0: enjoy watching them. Um, You know, I asked that for a specific reason. I'll be honest with you. Go, yeah. um, My dad, uh, you know, from my dad's side of the family, we're from Mexico, and um, my grandfather, as a father to him, he always told me these stories of being harsh and cold and um they didn't have a lot of they don't have he doesn't have a lot of great memories Mm -hmm. of them being close and that was the way as an immigrant is is that he came here illegally and and my dad was the the product of like an anchor baby and then Mm. they he led a different life than my dad would later lead And as a result, he often said to me as a kid, you know, I don't want to be the same kind of father that my dad was to me. Mm. In fact, he went in the opposite direction, which was like, how can I best be this kid's friend Mm. and be there for him in any way, in sports, academics, emotionally, anything. And, you know, our parents inform how... We're going to parent, but it, I always found it fascinating how he went in the opposite direction of his dad.
2: Yeah, there, I think that there's a very uh, there's a constant evaluation of your own childhood while you're parenting. And there are things that I had always assumed were inevitable, uh, which I have now discovered are choices. So there's a constant excavation of one's own life while you're witnessing another life. Um, It is a strange thing. It's almost daily for me. Right. That I go, oh, that this is different or this is the same. This is similar. I mean, a lot of it is different genetics. I mean, like children are who they are it appears to me as they come when they come out of the womb there are things that you can't shape there's very little to me the primary job is to make them safe and to make them feel secure so that they can be who they're supposed to be but the idea of molding them is like a fantasy like they they seem to me they they are who they are but yeah i mean there's I've just, I'll give you one example that I've reflected on, which is um, one difference that I was thinking about in the generations is, you know, my dad and mom operated from a sense of fear. Like that was the guiding principle of their life, fear. Um, And I don't mean it to disparage them that I felt it's pretty natural that they were in constant financial trouble, and uh, they were in a new land, and all this stuff. But you know, I see that my kids don't have that fear, and it is a completely different existence for them. That one principle. I was just thinking about that because, you know, my my son when I, when my son was young, I younger. He would walk around, and he didn't seem to have this fear of adults that I had. And I, to some extent, still do, Mm. you know, fear of grown-ups. And I wondered whether, I did wonder whether that was part of, like, his dad being an actor. Because whenever we went out, people would shake my hand or give me a high five or something. (laughs) And so, you know, like, whereas I thought the world was filled with wolves... You know, he sees fans. Very, yeah, he sees fans. <laughs> and it's like a different world filtered through his father. And my world filtered through my father was very dangerous. Mm. But yeah, I, 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 I enjoy, you know, I enjoy taking care of them and I enjoy being depended upon, you know. Some people don't like that. I do like that even though it can be stressful i enjoy being depended upon and and i think that's um to some extent it's like it's what makes you suitable to be a parent or not do you like right do you like having people depend on you and i like that
0: what would you say is your guiding principle if it's not fear
2: i think that what i like about all of what i do now professionally is problem solving Like it all comes down to that to me is like every little scene, every scene is like a little Rubik's cube. And when you can solve it, it's just very pleasurable. And sometimes it's very simple. Like uh, the scene doesn't work. And sometimes you just have to take out a line. That discovery, it makes me so happy. Mm. Um, It's so satisfying. Um, Or it can be, you know, the director thought, we should be standing, but one of us should sit, you know, and because we were working and, you know, like the, the element of surprise is, you know, heightened by the, and all of a sudden the scene works. And I guess that's a fantasy that we get to live out, which is life doesn't have fixes that are usually that easy. You know, you don't get to play with the dialogue and remove a line or go back and change it. And there is something deeply satisfying about that, being able to fix something, mm. um, rearrange something, restage it. Um, it's what I often think like is the pleasure of sports. Some people think it's a microcosm of life, and I think it's, it's attractive because it is the exact opposite of life. None of us get a trophy at the end of the year and say, You are the best. <laughs> you're the best this year. And we're gonna give you a parade. Yeah. You know, but in sports, they hand out a trophy and say, This year, this year, you're the champ. Yeah. And um And the money isn't bad either. And the money's good. But like but but we as viewers enjoy the fantasy that there are champions. Right. But really that's just illusory there is no champion and the wrong team often wins just because of matchups and uh, the the lesser team can win but we still say you're the champ right because
0: them's the rules sometimes that's how the cards fall yeah (laughs) the last thing i want to ask you and then if this is too silly of a question you can disregard it all right do you think now that you're too silly great (laughs) um Somehow I knew you were going to do that. (laughs) You know, do you think at at 45, you are married? You have two kids. So much has happened in your life, in your career, professionally and personally. And and I, I guess I was wondering, looking back on it now, do you think your parents did a good job raising you?
2: That's a tough question. Um, It's hard to say anything but yes because to say no is... Consequences of saying no are so heavy. Um, Heavy for you? For everyone involved, you know. Um, I would say... Yes, with qualifications, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm I love them, and it it's it it's very clear to me that they they did their utmost. I I think I wish they had done things differently. Um, in a, in a number of areas, but they were who they were and. And I think also having kids has taught me that, to some extent, you are not in charge of who you are. Um, I don't know why that's so. It seems like a cosmic joke. But, like, I think that's my conclusion is that you are parented the way you're parented and your genes are your genes. And then that mix, you arrive at the person you are and um, there's not a whole lot you can do about it. And so, yeah. Yeah. I guess to answer your question I'm I'm okay with them. <laughs>
0: um, John, thank you so much for What coming a
2: resounding uh, what a resounding statement.
0: I thought that was good and honest. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you don't think so? Yeah, it was
2: good. That was honest. It was honest, yeah.
0: Uh, was it too painful this whole thing?
2: No, <laughs> no. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Has it, it? Really has, yeah. Thank you.
0: Uh John, thank you. Thanks for having
2: me. Really tight.
0: Special thanks this week to the always lovely folks at IDPR, Tori Smith and Jillian Roscoe. You can see John in his new film called Searching, out August 3rd. It premiered at Sundance this year to rave reviews. If you'd like to learn more about John, you can visit our show notes at www.talkeasypod.com. Also on there, you'll be able to find all 99 episodes of this show with folks like Ben Schwartz, Koganata, Malcolm Gladwell, Lena Waithe, Jenny Slate, Zoe Kazan, the list goes on and on. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook at TalkEasyPod. Also, if you enjoyed today's episode or just enjoy this show in general, um I don't probably mention it enough, but please please um spread the word and share that love publicly on social media. I'm personally terrible at social media and I'm I'm trying my best to get better at it but uh, the more love we get the more new listeners will discover the show as always our show is executive produced by David Chen graphics by Ian Jones illustrations by Krishna Senoy our associate producer is Valerie Attenhofer and the show is produced by Dylan Peck I'm Sam Fragoso thank you for listening to Talk Easy and uh, next Sunday is Episode 100, and uh, my dad's coming on. We'll see how that goes. Have a good week, everyone.
1: The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress.